0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In with me, Paul Johnson, and joining me today I'm delighted to say are my colleague Jack Britton, who leads our work at the IFS on higher education, and Professor Alison Wolfe of King's College London, who is uh, one of the country's leading experts on higher and further education and has written a number of reports for government, but is very much speaking in a personal capacity today. And the question we're asking ourselves today is, are there too many young people going into higher education as we are reaching or on some measures have indeed reached Tony Blair's ambition to get half of young people going into higher education? There's obviously lots of controversy around that combination of concerns about whether it's the right thing for them, whether it's the right thing for the economy, how much it costs issues around student debt, uh, and all sorts. So plenty uh, to cover. But let's kick off just by uh, reminding ourselves of some of the basics of what is higher education, how many people are in higher education, and so on. So so Jack, do you just want to remind us about you know what, what do we mean by higher education? It's not completely straightforward. How many universities or higher education institutions are there how many people do go through university?
1: Hi, Paul. Uh, yeah, there's there's about 150, slightly more higher education institutions in the UK. Um, primarily people think of higher education, it's people doing first undergraduate degrees. So kind of standard three year or four year undergraduate degrees. And there's about 350,000 people doing those or starting those each year. Um, there's another roughly a hundred thousand people or so in higher education doing non uh, non-standard first degrees, as it were, so they can be lower-level qualifications or or shorter shorter courses. Uh, and those numbers have been growing over time. Yeah, quite substantially. Yeah, I mean, um, once you once you include everybody. Um, which uh, you know, there's there's lots of ways of measuring um, uh, Tony Blair's target of getting fifty percent of people going to higher education. But if you if you count everybody, you are at about fifty percent now, um, which is up substantially from um, from thirty years ago. There was the very dramatic growth in numbers from from the early '90s. Really, um, I think uh, across the whole adult population, uh, the total number of people with a higher education degree has roughly tripled from 1990 to, to a few years ago.
0: So that's a pretty remarkable um, change. I mean, what? What? I mean, Alison, why? Why has there been this huge change? What's driven this big increase in numbers going into university?
2: It's been driven both by demand and by supply. And of course, once a significant number of people start going to university, more and more people start to see it as something that they could do, and eventually as something they should do. And I think it's worth pointing out that although we have an unusually high proportion of young people going into something that you would recognize as a full fledged university this general huge increase in the numbers going on to some form of higher or tertiary education is is international so i think that there are there are two things going on i mean the first is clearly in the modern world there are jobs which do require quite extensive periods of specialized study and training and that's that's a part of it so a very large proportion of the people in higher education just bluntly are are doing medically related training everything from sort of doctors to radiographers to nurses to and that's again that's international but what's also true is that once you start expanding higher education it becomes a self-fulfilling activity because more and more employers will say, well, the easiest way to do a first cut as to who I think it would be worth looking at is to say, well, let's let's look at graduates and parents start to say, oh, my goodness, you really ought to go on or you ought to think about going on because look at all the other people who are and you'll be at a disadvantage and schools, which, after all, are academic institutions... Tend to judge themselves and be judged by how many people they send on into, into the into the next level. So all of those things are fueling it worldwide. And I think that in discussing you know, your, your question, are there quote too many? It's, it's really important to, to put beneath that a sort of a, a, a general statement. The developed world first went through universal primary education, then it went through universal secondary education. I think we are genuinely now in a world where a large and growing proportion, and it will soon probably be a majority of people, do something beyond the end of upper secondary. Then there's a a sort of subsidiary question, has this country got it right in putting its money so heavily on full degrees in standard universities?
0: And that's a key question, isn't it? Because you talk about going beyond um, upper secondary, but you don't have to go beyond upper secondary into a uh, traditional university. Uh, there are vocational qualifications, further education qualifications, apprenticeship uh, qualifications, which are all beyond um, the upper secondary, and which at the moment universities don't do that much of. Is that a fair statement?
2: It's a fair statement and a totally unsurprising statement. And one of the things which is a really marked difference between this country and most other developed countries is the extent to which not only do we have a system in which universities are dominant and in which other, but we also have a system in which these these other alternatives are not really very live alternatives for most people so i don't think that anybody has a system in which universities, so-called, are a completely unified sector, but do everything. The The typical pattern in most of the world is that you have a much more differentiated tertiary sector. So, you will have universities, but they would be a smaller proportion of the total tertiary offer than they are in this country. And you will quite often have quite distinctive post-secondary institutions. The other thing about this country about apprenticeships which Paul I know you've written about widely as well is that we had a history of having a very typical apprenticeship system um, killing it off partly by neglect partly by circumstance partly deliberately we're now recreating it but what has happened is that again for most 18 year olds there aren't that many apprenticeships on offer in this country compared to the the high apprenticeship countries such as particularly switzerland germany denmark austria so we have a very very unusual institutional setup and we certainly don't we certainly don't encourage or even or enable universities to do anything other than offer full degrees. In fact, you know, as I've, I've, I've written extensively, um, we created a system in which it was was and is entirely rational for universities to offer and recruit as many students as possible to full three-year degrees.
0: So, Jack, there's obviously a lot more, as, as, as you and Alison have said, an awful lot more uh, young people going through uh, university. There's an issue about whether this is the right thing for all of them but but what do we know about the value of it to the individuals themselves are they gaining by going to university
1: yeah we've um we've done a lot of work on this recently with new administrative data that's come available um that kind of gives us a lot more information about the outcomes of people who go through higher education routes um to a level of granularity that's just never been previously possible. So we've got the whole whole swathe of new evidence on, on this exact topic, and um, and yeah, it is the case that on average uh, people do gain from going to university privately, i.e., they they can benefit over the over the course of their lifetime in terms of earnings um, from going, and those that earnings increase outweighs the costs of going. Um, so on average, that's true, but there's also a lot of variation around that number. Um, there's in fact quite a few institutions and quite a few subjects where on average students who attend those institutions or study those subjects actually earn less by age 30 than they would have done had they not gone to university. And roughly, we estimate roughly 20% of people who go to university would actually be better off if they hadn't gone um, at all. And,
0: and those are just private returns. So there's quite a lot of subjects, as you say, where people don't gain from uh, their earnings and issues subjects like creative arts are certainly among those. Um, and, you know, that's a substantial fraction. A, a fifth of students you're suggesting would probably have been better off in earnings terms if they hadn't gone to university at all, if they'd done something else. Uh, but I think, Alison, what you're saying is that those private, ter- even that might be overstating the value of higher education, because those are private returns. And some of those returns are, as you say, simply because um, employers just use the fact that you're a graduate to um, work out who to interview in the first place. So I think you would suggest that the, the, the social returns are possibly even lower than that.
2: I think that's right, though. I would like to sort of make a couple of obvious points, which is that um, it's not a terribly good idea to think about something in education as entirely about future earnings. And a lot of those earnings are not in any sense sort of market determined anyway. Um, but having said that, um, I'll also make the obvious point that, yes, there's a, a lot of public money going into this. And there are other things where you think it might be a, a better use. So, you do have to ask this sort of quite hard question, not just assume that that any expenditure on education is automatically the best possible thing that you could do with it. Um, And I think that what this does show is that there will be quite a lot of people who in their 40s and 50s will look back and feel, well, if I could do things over again, I might not decide to do that now you know in some cases they might and in some cases um, it would just never occur to them to ask that but but it's it's very obvious that to that if you look at policy making over the last sort of 20 30 40 50 years one of the things which i think has has made it less good than it could be is that people did look at raw earnings returns Particularly at a time when a far smaller proportion of people went, and they were inclined to think, "Oh, gosh, this is wonderful! Not only will we enlarge their minds, make them into more civilized human beings, all, all the all the other stuff which academics hope they do, but this will be this will be great in earning terms. And then, with a happy leap, will also be good for the country because if they're earning more, the 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 economy will be greater. and of course, it, it, it is much, much less simple than that. And one of the things which we always have to remember is that there's a lot of sorting going on, as I've said. So you may be earning more than somebody who's otherwise like you who didn't go to university because you learned something useful at university. Or you might be learning earning more because an employer says, oh, well, that's a, that's a good person to hire. Again, not totally irrationally. I mean, might, they... You, you've shown that you can stick out three years of possibly boring stuff and possibly not so boring stuff, um, but but without being able to fine tune exactly how much it always is. There, there's definitely a lot of of, of sort of sorting and signaling going on here and it was therefore completely predictable as well as what actually happened that as you put more and more and more people into university the average earnings returns start to go down i mean how could they not you know if, if everybody goes to university then the average the average extra will be zero so
0: yeah that's um I mean, it's very interesting what you say this role of universities in sorting and signaling rather than teaching I mean in an ideal world you'd go to university and you'd learn a whole bunch of stuff and it's that stuff that would mean that you were earning more or or happier or, or whatever the, the the returns are I mean do, do do we have any sense of you know to what extent do graduates earn more just because in fact I've got a degree I'm waving in front of the employer is a signal uh, that I'm good. Actually, I might not have learned anything useful at all. And the extent to which it is the fact that I actually learned something useful.
2: I might defer, well, not defer, but ask Jack to say a little bit about this, because he does, he he has done some fantastic stuff on sort of institutional impacts. I think the answer is, you'll never be able to know for sure. Because you're not randomly assigning people in any sense, you're not sort of, you're, you're not, you, you've got all sorts of things going together um if you go to a top-ranked university not only do you get the certainly what my students think is a signal by the way i mean they're 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 quite cynical about it um but it's but you're going to a different sort of place i mean if for example you go to an, an institution like king's you're going to a top research university which is actually in fact has much has significantly more money to spend on you than a a university which doesn't get lots of research funding and doesn't get lots of international students. So it's really hard to compare like with like. But um, there is no question that the punters think some of this is signalling. They're absolutely clear about it. Um, if you ask students, they will say that yes, they hope they're coming to a wonderful institution. Yes, they hope they're going to have wonderful teachers. But oh my goodness, yes, they want Kings on Kings, or let alone Oxford or Cambridge, on their degree certificate. Um, and we actually did some quite interesting and depressing work on how going up the research ratings quite dramatically increases the amount that you can charge foreign students to come to you because the further up your research ratings you are the 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 more visible you are internationally and therefore from the point of view of the stu- student is worth paying a bit extra to get that that name on your degree certificate now hopefully we're also teaching them well and hopefully we're teaching them well at the forefront of the disciplines. But I I just don't think you can ever put a very fine figure on how much in any one case or across the system you're, you're actually getting one rather than the other. Um, but I'd, I'd sort of be quite interested in Jack's views on this because in the fabulous research that he's done, which is um which would you you can you can lose yourself in it for hours Uh, you do have something to say about institutional impact over and above everything else
0: okay come on then jack how much of it signaling
1: yeah i think you've picked it up a little bit too much because i'm going to sit on the fence a little bit i i mean i think it's true that you can't disentangle these things uh completely um they're two, the two effects that are happening at the same time, and it, and, uh, and it's very difficult to get at causal impacts. There is some evidence around the world on, you know, when university courses have been interrupted, which is probably quite relevant to things going on today. But um, when things have been interrupted, say, uh, for strikes or for other reasons like that, um, there is evidence that that has negatively affected the students' Uh, over the long term, which, is, which people have taken as evidence that, you know, they are actually learning something on these courses. It's not just about the kind of uh, the signal of having, having been on it. Um, but one thing I'd say about the UK evidence is, um, you know, we do see these very stark institutional differences early on, which, yeah, that, that is, that is uh, consistent with a, with a signaling aspect being there. Because it's really hard to differentiate between young people when you're making, when you're employing, uh, employing them at 23 or whatever. But further down, you still see these these gaps. So, you know, through people's 30s, it's the people who attend the most uh, elite institutions who really rapidly accelerate away. And so that does kind of lean back towards, you know, maybe these people are actually more productive um, than uh than people who went to the to the less elite institutions, it doesn't necessarily mean this is the causal impact of what the university is teaching them, but uh, but it does suggest that there are some uh, some more stories going on here rather than just a, a signalling uh, thing.
0: It's one of the one of the things that worries me, Alison, is the sort of the the way in which our um, university sector is set up often makes the university that you go to pretty much the only signal that an employer can use um, because everyone gets a 2-1 at least nowadays Um, and you know I'm an employer at the IFS and we look at people who you know graduated from different universities and we look at their A-levels and we see they've all got firsts basically so I'm afraid we do take a first from some universities more seriously than a first from others and that may be just signaling or maybe that they're being taught more I don't know
2: um, and given the size of the IFS, you can't ever actually find out definitively, especially since you guys believe in data and sample size. And we're a bit too small for to that, I'm afraid. Um, but actually picking up on your first point, I actually think it's very worrying. I think the thing that bothers me most about the way this country is set up, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that we only we have a single prestige system. And it's it's about which university you went to. And that I think is quite extreme it's not unique but it's quite extreme um if you look at some other in some other countries and if you look historically too actually i'm not saying that it that the 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 very top won't be a top university i mean most countries have some highly elite institutions or fairly elite institutions but they they do also have if you like alternative hierarchies, alternative status systems. And I actually think that that's, that's, that's really important. So yes, it, this wouldn't affect, look, you know, IFS is a very specialist employer. You're, you're likely to go on hiring people who come from pretty intensive degrees at, and, and increasingly postgraduate degrees at a very small number of universities. But, but for most employers, And this is not just about people staying in a very specific vocational course. For for most employers, it will matter whether you succeeded at a reputable place, showed you did well, showed you did well, even if you then shift degree levels. And I think that if you look at places like Switzerland is 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 an obvious one, but Netherlands is another obvious one. You can make a really great career having started as an apprentice. You can make a really great career having started at a selective specialist higher vocational institution and those though I think those alternatives are important not least because at the moment so much of your life is decided by whether you keep your nose down between age 16 and 18 and and get those one of those sort of you know shovelfuls of, of of top grades and in the past it it seems to me it there were more second chances and more alternative routes and actually, France is an interesting example for this, of this in many ways because they're probably quite like us in lots of ways, um, including <laughs> not just in higher education, but but they have they have a, a super hierarchy which which really matters. What is quite interesting when you look at um, French social science research is that if you go back forty or fifty years. It's very obvious that there were sort of two alternative routes to the top. And one was through, you know, the equivalent of what we used to call articles and working in a company and going up. And that, and, and, and you went up that way and made a career in business and, and went to the top and going the, the classic academic route. And now, as with us, there is this sense that you have to go the academic route or nothing.
0: And not only the academic route or nothing, but only you know you're certainly massively advantaged if you've gone through a particular part of the yeah, uh, justice i
2: mean if anything even more strongly than us and 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 actually much more the the, 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 the well i was going to say that upfront they're not upfront about it, but in terms of put your money where your mouth is um the French spend much more on. Educating somebody in one of the grandes écoles, which are their sort of super elite institutions, than they do on university students, and they—it's—it's it's a fantastic, fantastic education, and I am not, in any sense, indicating that that this isn't a perfectly sensible thing for them to be doing in a mass education system, um, if they also work at trying to make it accessible. But it goes back to your point. It's. It's not good when there's that one route and everybody feels that if they don't make it at 18, that's sort of it.
0: Jack, Allison has alluded a couple of times to the cost of uh, higher education. I think it may be still that there are some people listening to this surprised that we're talking about the cost, given that um, students in principle are paying over £9,000 a year themselves. And yet, it is the case, isn't it, that this is still a very expensive system from the point of view of the taxpayer?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's a slightly confusing or uh, counterintuitive system um, in some ways, just because of the way uh, student finance is set up. So, while nominally students do have to pay tuition fees of uh, just over £9,000 per year to do a university degree, you know, they actually borrow all of that money from the government. So, the government pays it up front and then students repay it over the course of their lifetimes if they earn enough. Um, Currently, they pay 9% of their earnings above uh, about £27,000. So because that's quite a high level of earnings, uh, quite a lot of them don't repay it. And so the taxpayer makes the big upfront spend to cover the fees, and then it doesn't get a lot of that back. So um, actually, the cost to taxpayer is quite a lot over the long term. And one of the sort of
0: um, curiosities of the system in a way is that the, in a sense, the less economically valuable the degree, arguably, um, the more the taxpayer pays. Because if you do a degree and then don't earn very much, you don't pay it back. Whereas if you go and study something uh, which, uh, economically at least, is rewarded, you do pay it back. So you have this curiosity where the taxpayer is essentially um, subsidising those degrees which aren't recognised much in the market and not subsidising those which are
1: valuable. That's right and that that's actually um, something that changed quite a lot when they they made the big changes to the system that occurred in 2012. Um, so tuition fees at that point were increased to £9,000. Previously they were a lot lower than that around £3,000. Um, so before they they uh, they used to top up that tuition fee with a government di- uh, with a government grant, and that grant could be adapted for different subject areas. Um, whereas in two thousand and twelve, they they really cut back on the grants and went to tuition fees, expecting that there would be differentiation in fees across different uh, de- across different degrees. Um, but that didn't really happen, and pretty much everybody went to all the universities went to setting their fees at nine thousand pounds. Uh, which meant that essentially all of the all of the income was a lot uh, less different across different subjects for universities, um, and yeah, it was uh, it was taxpayers having to make up the shortfall in the lower earning subjects uh, as a result. So yeah, it's kind of a an odd um, byproduct of uh, of those reforms that that isn't very obvious, I think, and uh, and yeah, it comes out really because we expected or the government expected that fees would be quite different after the reforms um, but
0: actually, they're not. Alison uh, is, is nodding vigorously at uh, everything. Uh, well, you yes, want.
2: <laughs> I mean the government expected there to be price competition. I have to say, I can't imagine why they did. <laughs> there wasn't at the lower fee level before, and it's completely irrational to 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 go in with less money, given that we have got a and rightly a very generous what they call income contingent loan scheme. Because while all you're doing, if suppose you're offering a, a history degree for six thousand as opposed to a history degree for nine. 000 i mean what you're saying to the student is um we're going to spend less on you and we're probably not a very good institution otherwise we'd be asking for we'd be asking nine and it took a very short time for everybody to therefore start charging the maximum and as i said we we, we quite i think quite i mean I, I would like to say quite rightly have an income contingent system and and actually in that sense i think we have one of of, of those countries that charge high fees i think we have one of the the best systems for ensuring that people from less affluent families on people who might be very risk-averse aren't put off studying by the nightmare of huge interest and, and loan repayments. But it does, as Jack says, have this, 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 this knock-on effect when you first of all say that the fee can be the same for everything and you also... Um, cease controlling the number of people who are going into different um, areas and and I think this is a really crucial thing you basically cut back the direct subsidy then then you do get a very peculiar situation which is what we've got at the moment and it's why inevitably within universities you get sort of cross subsidies and and then that leads to people saying it's outrageous that somebody in an English department is paying more than is spent on them and so on and so on um and I think people don't realize either how much money the taxpayer still contributes because people who don't make a lot of money in the end get the loan written off. Um, but also, I think most people haven't realized, if they once knew how universities worked, how far, as Jack says, the, the direct subsidy for expensive degrees has essentially been wiped wiped off.
0: You, you were, Alison. You were part of the, um, the, the 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 most recent big review of all of this, the the Orga review, which had some proposals for changing that. Can you just explain what they were and how you got to them?
2: Yes. How did we get to them? Well, it wasn't quite like Bismarck sausage. You wouldn't want to know how you know how it was produced, <laughs> actually. Um, for anybody who hasn't read the the, the Orga report, which I, I I I would like to recommend, because not just do I, of course, sign up to the recommendations, but for anybody who wants to understand our current system, I think and hope we did a fairly decent job of of explaining it to people, and and we we were concerned. We felt that it was it was not it was not a good idea to have a system which was so opaque in which it the the way in which universities were funded was 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 so unclear that they 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 did go in for this cross subsidy and to put it bluntly you had a very strong incentive as a university to recruit people to degrees that that you can, I'll say you could make a profit on. That's not. That's not. That's a little unfair. Um, but you could. You could be sure that they would more than cover their costs. And we therefore thought that it would be better to go back to something that was more like the system before the before the nine 2, the nine thousand fees were, were introduced, in which there was more of an open and overt balance between what the the the, the fee was and the fact that with expensive, and important degrees, the the government put. A much more teaching grant in that so so that was what we re- what what the the orga review recommended and of course the headline was you know august orga, orga recommends a cut in fees well what what it recommended was two things which were which were joined at the hip cutting the headline fee um, which was the amount that the student loan company would pay the universities on behalf of the student but also increasing commensurately the amount of direct funding that went in
0: and uh, it's um, I mean, it was also the case uh, of course that that was a review not just of higher education but of um, uh, further and post- compulsory education in general. I on at least two occasions I really had to tell the BBC off when they interviewed me and uh, about this and said it was the all review of higher education. I thought, well, no it wasn't. And this of course is all part of the um, uh, the national obsession with higher education and the failure to, uh,
1: taking account it,
2: it of absolutely uh, everything,
0: everything else but I mean moving on to that I mean what you know what 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 were your recommendations there what are your recommendations now for moving us a bit away a, a, a bit more towards um, a world in which people see you know, higher level vocational qualifications uh, and such qualifications are provided as an alternative because in, a, in the end that's what we really need if we think we are getting something wrong with higher education.
2: Paul, as you know, my number—I mean, my, the the number one recommendation of the Orga review has been part, has been sort of accepted, um, and I still think it was an absolutely critical one. And this is where I have to say, you know, I I have advised the government on this, so um, that doesn't mean that it was because of me. Um, things move slowly and, and and incomprehensibly always inside government, but um, the number one recommendation inside in in the Orga review was one which I think has been probably promoted by pretty much every think tank in London by now. So it wasn't exactly a brand new idea. But it was that what you really needed to do was to make finance available to the individual in a much more flexible way. So they had an incentive to think about in terms of lifetime spending. So um, it's what we we called a a lifetime loan entitlement. And that's something which the government has now signed up to. Um, And I want to explain why I think it's so critical to... Improving other forms of higher education because what it says to someone is we will give you support. It's going to be very flexible how you use it. You'll have this pot. So it is worth your while thinking really hard when you're 18, whether you actually want to use it all up now or whether you might actually want to use some of it now, some of it later, wait for a while. At the moment, it's not just that the universities offer you know, three-year degrees because it's financially in their interest, it's actually quite hard for them to offer anything else. And if you are an individual, it's very hard for you to get money for anything else, actually. I mean, the, the whole system is set up such a way you can easily get a three-year full-time loan, but you can't sort of do do something and then retrain at something that the government calls the same level and so on. So, I think two things have happened. I think, first of all, we have, as I said, moved into this sort of all-tertiary world. Um, but the second thing which i think has happened is that people have actually become more and more aware of what jack has been describing which is that for a lot of people a university degree is not just not good earnings but but it's not something which they feel hugely positive about for themselves or for their for their children that you know 3 years of getting drunk when you don't have any money anyway and you've got a large maintenance loan i mean it doesn't feel like that much <laughs> and and one of the most dramatic things that i've i've seen actually is a shift in public opinion um away from everybody wanting their child to go to university to thinking that actually with the caveat if anything decent was available it would make a lot more sense to go for apprenticeships higher vocational education retraining later so the thing that that you know, as I said, it was our number one recommendation because we felt that unless you shifted the underlying financial structures, you were never going to shift the the motives, the incentives, the way that institutions behaved. So that was my number one wish post orga was that they the the government would adopt the number one Orga recommendation. And obviously, you know, it's a long way to actually implementing it, but I I, I continue to believe that it's completely fundamental given the way that this country's system is set up, to to shifting the current pattern, which basically says to everyone, go to university when you're 18, go to university when you're 18. And and that is still strong. I mean, during the pandemic, the the proportion of the cohort applying has gone up again.
0: Which often happens, doesn't it, in uh, difficult times that uh, people mark time uh, or decide to go to Education uh, to achieve that. I mean, Jack, what do we know about the extent to which there are people who have gone into higher education who then end up in jobs that just don't need it? I mean, that's one of the problems, isn't it? That we have what some people refer to as over education.
1: Yeah, people people love talking about over education. It's, it's a bit of a slippery concept because um, uh, you know, it's often based on things like surveys asking people if they're overqualified for the job that they have or uh, other other kind of subjective measures which are which are not necessarily uh easy to compare across individuals but uh,
0: i've always felt underqualified for every job i've
1: done <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean the, there is this uh this point highlight which is highlighted in the auger review actually which is um about a third of graduates are in non-graduate jobs um so that does suggest that uh that we have we have a lot of, uh, or, or excess numbers of people uh, going into the labour market with with degrees that are not really needed, um, and that is higher. That is quite a lot higher than in other OECD countries. So I think that's the best stat that I've got on that. And
0: on the vocational side, I mean, there is some, there is at least some tentative good news, isn't there? About some, there are there appear to be some vocational qualifications where the earnings returns are really quite good, but an awful lot of variation.
1: Yeah, they're, they're not many people do that. Um, which is kind of the, kind of the problem, but the ones that do, uh, the earnings outcomes by by their kind of mid to late twenties do look really good. I think they probably look a little bit less good ten years on from that. But with all the good data that we have, it goes up to about age thirty, and and those those alternative routes, uh, so level four, level five qualifications, um, yeah, on average, the earnings outcomes seem to be really really good. It's true.
2: And, and yeah, the other um, thing, I think, which picks up on what you said earlier, Paul, is that the evidence on on, on apprenticeships is, all, is also, you know, very good, as long as you sort of define clearly what you mean. And it's not one of the, the appalling things that used to be called apprenticeships at various points in recent government history. Um, that, you know, as you would expect, um, as, a, as a route for many, for, for many jobs, learning something while you're also working is is very effective.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm, my 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 son is living proof of this having done a having done a level 4 apprenticeship he's now earning an extraordinary salary more indeed than my oldest son um he's That's got a first fabulous. Year, you know, he's done it must be must be true if the um, if my it experience matches. Must be true. It
2: must the true. An the true. Anec- anecdote, anecdote, comes. The anecdote is always <laughs>
0: more powerful than anything that. Um, in all Jack's administrative <laughs> data is hopeless without the anecdote.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I do think uh, an important point about about these kind of kinds of qualifications is that, you know, they obviously can work out really well. I just I, I think a big factor that uh, makes people cautious about taking them is just is the risk associated with it and um you know the the university route is so well established it kind of goes back to what alison was saying at the beginning it's so well established that people can have faith that in 10 15 20 years time that that is still going to be recognized Um, and there i think there is a concern about some of these alternative routes that you can make a nice shiny new thing that looks really good for people and there will be people who go through it and do really well but um people might be quite cautious about taking them on because in 10 years they could fail and then nobody will recognize those qualifications
0: and and, and alison that's been uh, i mean that, that that's that's a real risk isn't it it's been the history of our you know non-a-level non-higher education policy for yes. decades that um we mess around with it so much We mess we...
2: around with it and which is which is why coming back to your question earlier um i actually think this this I, I still believe that it's so fundamentally important to give people a, a pot which they can use, which they may top up themselves, where there isn't this sense. But I would also underline that while Jack's right, that the 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 survey evidence definitely shows a quite rapid falling out of love with university by quite a surprising proportion of the population. That doesn't mean they may not still say, as as Jack says, "Would well, you better go anyway because it's the only it's 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 the sort of." That way, the door won't slam in your face. But, but compared to a period when I think both policymakers and a large part of the population saw it as very much a sort of guaranteed path to to substantial success, I think there's a there's there's some pretty clear evidence of of, of disillusion.
0: W- would you limit the number of people who can go to university, Alison? Um,
2: no i wouldn 't because as i said what i what i would what i 've always advocated is giving people choice. Um, I think there may be places where we might want to limit the capacity we might want to sort of organize the system differently so as i've said you know in other countries you have universities who do certain things you have other institutions who do certain things would i say only x percent of the population can ever go no absolutely not that strikes me as 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 it actually strikes me as politically impossible anyway but um it also strikes me as as both um unjustifiably authoritarian and economically stupid
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a fairly clear answer then. Um, So so if, if returning, and we should come to an end in a moment, returning to our original question, do we think too many people are going to university? Possibly we do, but what should we do about it? Well, not ban them, but provide them with proper alternatives with the funding and quality that is needed to make those viable.
2: Um, yes, totally, which is easier said than done. I mean, we have to shift the incentives, which at the moment seem to me to lead to a lot of people making decisions which are not optimal and which they will later regret, and ensuring that there are far more far more possibilities open to them but i, I, I but it's it's not about are there too many people going it's are there too many people doing courses in universities which are not a top priority for either them or the taxpayer.
1: Um, would you agree with that, Jack? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, big priority seems to me more information about the outcomes from these different routes because I think a lot of people just make choices a little bit blindly because it's the default thing to do or the school is encouraging them to do it and it's just the... Uh, yeah, more uh, the system needs to be a bit shaken up, I think, in that sense. So, more of an in- information drive, and um, probably more direct policy, reducing uh, reducing incentives for for universities to be expanding courses that the government doesn't prioritise. Well, we ought to
0: leave it there. We've um, it's been so fascinating. We've almost certainly run over uh, our normal uh, allotted um, time. I, I, I think we have. We, ha- we, we have the answer to our question, which is we probably do have too many people going to university, or at least um, for those who go to university, they're probably not studying the optimal uh, mix of subjects. And the main reason um, for this is because we still have not put in place uh, a set of alternatives, which are both clearly enough signposted of high enough quality and appropriately funded um, for people. And um, I'm not gonna ask you this, but I'm pretty sure you both agree, uh, that actually both from a, from a social point of view and an economic point of view this will be among ought to be among the very top priorities for any government over the next few years and we ought to stop obsessing about the precise way in which um, university tuition fees are paid and start obsessing far far more uh, about the alternatives to um, going to university and the way uh, that those work which I know um, is something you Alison have been obsessing about for a very long time um so thank you uh thank you very much both to jack um and to Alison. if you want to see more about what the ifs is doing do go to our website www.ifs.org.uk thank you very much for actually listening uh, and hopefully we will see you again next time